The kids in the Philippines, especially when we were in the smaller villages outside of Iloilo, like, they were just so happy to be able to do flips off our boat into the water. <laughs> like, it, it just, it was, you know, it's just nice to see people happy. Talking to myself again, wondering if this traveling is good. Is there something better doing we'd be doing if we could? And oh, the stories we could tell. And if this all blows up and goes to hell, well, I hope that we can sit back on a bed. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Get Lost Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Sills, a freelance writer for Travel Channel, National Geographic. Bassmaster Magazine, a couple of other places. And I'm here today with one of my very special friends, Jessica Dahl. Hey, Jess. Hey. Jess is a Instagram influencer these days, but she started life as a blogger and sort of transitioned from that to photography and into a world where she runs her own business. And a large part of that is Instagram. You can follow her online at Hi Dahl. It's H E J D O. LL. So Jess, we want to talk to you today about what you do and a little bit about your background. Can you tell us where approximately in the country you're located and sort of what your day-to-day routine is? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm located in Cupertino, California, which is the home of Apple. It's about an hour south of San Francisco. Um, Most people have an iPhone and recognize Cupertino from the time zone that they can't get rid of. (laughs) (laughs) And then my day-to-day is sort of always changing as someone who's self-employed. Part of what I do is being able to juggle the tasks that I need to do, which are very different. I could be photographing something one day, attending an event, um, content planning, or rounding up props or on a trip or it always changes. So you have to sort of be able to adjust your workflow to accommodate that. Let's give people an example of that. And and I feel like we're sort of kindred spirits in that way. Like, in fact, we met on a, on a, I guess it was a press trip. That's what the term yeah. would be. Yeah. A press trip to Lake Tahoe. Yeah. It sounds, it all sounds very fantastical. We met in the lobby of the Ritz Carlton at Lake Tahoe. <laughs> and then we went to an all night poker game. No. We went to like a uh, seaside dock, no, lakeside dock where they served us lobster. And, I mean, it was this crazy thing, but it's actually pretty normal for travel writers and for content creators like yourself to come together and sort of merge worlds on these trips. Uh, PR firms arrange all this. But anyway, you recently found yourself in China. Uh, yeah, I was in Taiwan and the Philippines. Do you, do you want to tell us how you got to Taiwan? I swam. It took <laughs> me eight weeks. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I took a plane, of course. Um, I was actually on a press trip for a tour company. And they flew me out with a bunch of other influential people. And um, we spent, I think it was something like nine days between the two countries. So we visited um, Taipei and Taichung in Taiwan um, at one point. 
I sort of needed a break from the group because it can get very overwhelming being surrounded by people you don't know all the time. And right. um, I went and hiked up a mountain, which is, you know, <laughs> not, not surprising for me. But um, and then in the Philippines, we spent time in Manila and Iloilo. So, so hiking up, I mean, you just before we got on, you told me like, oh, I just got done running up a mountain. This is like a recurring theme in your life. <laughs> Uh, it is, um, aside from my job, which is, you know, largely my passion, which it has to be when you're self-employed. Um, my biggest hobby is running and in my next race, I'll be running up in the mountains in Tahoe, actually. So let's talk, let's go back to the trip to Taiwan and, and Manila and all that. So when you're there, um, all of the pictures on the Instagram account look awesome. I mean, they're really well done. They make you want to be in the scene and you feel like you're a part of it, like a part of the trip. Um, what is your takeaway from that part of the world and how do you approach it from a creative perspective? How do you stay on task when you're in such an overwhelmingly new place? I think it's just one of those things where when you've been doing it for so long, it just comes naturally to be in that work mode. I can't even go on personal trips anymore where I'm not constantly in the mindset of what content do I need to be creating? You're just like, your mind doesn't stop going when you're on these trips. And I feel like that's one of the large misconceptions when it comes to um, traveling as a content creator, as an influencer, or as a travel writer is that on social media and things like that, it's my job to make these trips look fun and exciting and to inspire people to go there. But really, I don't show a lot of the behind the scenes. I don't show that I get up at five in the morning and I probably don't go to bed until midnight or one o'clock because I'm just always creating content and my brain never quite shuts down. And even when you do have downtime on these trips, you're usually doing work that you are missing when you're doing all these other activities on the trips or you're planning more content or you're scouting locations or going and shooting different content for the trips that you're on. So let's break it down a little bit. First, I want to ask you what the term influencer means to you. Is it a good term? Is it a bad term? Because I've, I've heard both ways. I've heard that people want to be content creators now. They want to get rid of the term influencer. What does that mean to you? I, I, I mean, broken down an influencer is just someone that has influence. You know, you're either a local influencer, someone like a teacher or, you know, maybe even the uh, priest or preacher or something, you know, someone that people listen to, or you're a, a micro influencer, which is usually between like 10 and 50,000 followers, or, you know, you're a mid-tier 50 to 500, a million, whatever, you know, there's like the mega celebrity influencers. Right. Um, so there's just sort of the different categories. And then... I've heard the only reason that I think that being an influencer has negative connotations is because I think it's people's perception of it. There are influencers who only shoot with their phone and some people do really well with their phone, but I don't feel like their skill set is expanded very much. And then there are people like me who I actually do prefer the term like digital content creator. I feel like it's a little, it's still not as self-explanatory which influencer isn't either. Most people don't know what an influencer is or does. But um, I feel like it's more true to what I do 
as a profession, like not only do I post on Instagram, I post content on my blog, I post content on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter. I have shot for magazines. Um, I think it's just more true to what my actual job duties are. Yeah, you have a robust portfolio. And I guess there's an important designation there because we do meet people on the road who strictly do Instagram. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I do think the term influencer is so closely tied to Instagram because of the rise of people like you who have made careers out of it, made careers out of the platform. But it's important to note that before Instagram, you were doing all of this already. Yeah, I was. Um, so how I sort of got started in it was in 1999, which was whew, 20 years ago now. I was in high school and um, I, I don't know, I was kind of like a quiet, shy kid and the internet was new and I hung out in chat rooms and I made some friends online, some of which I'm still friends with, which is amazing. And um, at one point, one of my friends was like, hey, I made a website. And it was 1999, so it was really cool to hear that someone made a website, right? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> how did you do that, you wizard? I know. That was basically my response. I was like, oh, my gosh, you have a website. That's so crazy. That's amazing. Like, how do I get a website, though? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, so um, your, your light, light bulbs just went off in your brain immediately. Oh, they did. Yeah. She was like, you have to learn HTML. And I'm like, oh, what is that? Well, it turns out that I already kind of knew a little bit of it because I was one of those cool people that had their AOL profile that flashed different colors and stuff like that. Um, what was your AOL screen name? Oh, what was it? Oh, you know. Everyone I, okay, my first one, it's so embarrassing. I loved NSYNC. My first AOL screen name was Crunks Baby one because I had the hugest crush on Justin Timberlake. Well, you know he's from Memphis. Maybe I could just call him, you know? I, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure his wife would not enjoy that. They abandoned us and moved to Nashville. It's, it's very sad. Anyway, go ahead. So then at one point, it wasn't just the website. She was like, hey, I have this thing called a weblog. And I was like, a weblog? What's that? And if you're not familiar with it, weblog is what blog is actually short for. So I, I figured that out and I started a blog and I had a loyal thousand readers a month, which was a lot of people at that time. That's and, still um, a lot of people. That's like more people than read sold outside. I, I think more people should read it. You're a great writer. <laughs> Thanks. So you had these thousand readers and you're in high school. You're like, wow, I've started a thing. Did you know you started a thing? I didn't know. Honestly, it was just a place where it was like an online journal. Like I, I would write about I ate pizza for dinner and bought these new jeans and I love these jeans because this and like never did I think that 20 years later I would literally be writing about like food and jeans. again. <laughs> was there a point where you had a normal like a desk job or an, a day to day job? I did. So um, growing up, I wanted to be a fashion designer and um, life sort of had other plans for me. And I ended up with a day job. Um, my my friend's grandpa's company hired me to do basically like bookkeeping and accounting. And so I, I sort of taught myself all that, which was nice because I got to learn the ins and outs of running an actual business. And I did work sort of in the law in the same line until 2010 when I was able to quit my day job. In 2006, I started sort of dabbling in photography. My boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, had, you Shout know, out. 
At Note Burger. Note Burger. <laughs> That's my guy right there. Um, he had a, an SLR camera and he would take pictures of stuff. And I just was really inspired. And I thought, you know, they were cool pictures. And I wanted to learn how to do photography. And not just so that I could take cool pictures, but I really enjoy the technical side of it as well. I enjoy you know, figuring out how to light different scenarios, how to give different effects, how to give different feelings to images. And um, so I was really inspired then. And a couple of years later, I started my first photography business. At first, I was doing fashion and editorial work. And then I moved on to shooting kids who don't need three hours of hair and makeup in between each frame. <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you some more about how you got into photography like, where did you learn to shoot? Google. You Googled it? Well, like, you push the shutter button. The rest you just kind of have to learn. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I taught myself photography. I didn't take any classes or anything. I saved up after I moved to the Bay Area. My first, like, big paycheck, I was like, I'm buying a camera. And so I bought an entry-level SLR, a little little Canon Rebel XTI. And I just started taking pictures. First, it was kind of an automatic. And then I moved over to uh, aperture priority. And then I moved over to full manual. But I, if I didn't know how to do something, I would just Google literally like how to do this or how to do that. And then I would Google, you know, like about how to control lighting and like what what does this ISO mean like versus this one. And I just sort of played around with it and just just shot as much as I could. And that's what I always tell people when they say, you know, like, well, how do I learn photography? And it's like, buy a camera and read the manual really good. Like, and then like the lens will always matter more than the camera, I feel like. I mean, obviously there's differences in cameras, you know, like with the sensor size and, and size of the image and stuff like that and capabilities. But I feel like if you have a good lens on, you know, a mediocre body, then you're still doing good if you had like a great camera with a crap lens. It's kind of like the difference between a really fit person wearing a shitty suit and an average fit person wearing a really nice suit. Yeah. Yeah. So totally. the, the first like professional quote unquote photography I did is just by definition, like a magazine published it, right? I got paid. So it was professional. All of that was done for years with basically a $400 used entry level Nikon that I slapped some nice lenses on. Mm -hmm. And then I started graduating up to like the little more expensive versions, which would allow me to shoot in low light better uh, or, you know, shoot burst more quickly. But all of that's really incremental and you can sort of work around it, like especially if you're starting off. Granted, iPhones have come a long way and the Android cameras are great now, too, to where you can even like simulate SLR effects and adjust the aperture right there on your screen but do you think there's still a benefit to having a physical body camera that you carry around as a photographer i think absolutely i think if you asked someone who didn't know anything about cameras their answer might be different right my big thing with carrying a big camera is the quality of the images because for instance i just shot a magazine editorial um and some of the images that they wanted, they had seen on my blog. And they were from years ago, like 2012 or 2013. And they emailed me and they were like, hey, we really love these images. 
we want to license them from you for our magazine. If I had taken those on my phone, I would have been screwed. Like, because the quality wouldn't have been there for me to be like, yeah, here's the raw files, you know, or here's, you know, a really high quality JPEG. Like I wouldn't have been able to do that if I took those on something that didn't have the capability of, you know, being that large for print. Tell us a little about some of the magazines you've been published in. Um, most recently I shot the summer travel editorial for the Magnolia journal magazine. That was really exciting. Girl. Um, I and Joanna Gaines. I, I did when they emailed me, I was kind of in shock for quite a while. Did they email you directly? Like they did. Is... They reached out and they're like, the, the subject was, uh, let me see what it said here. Need rustic farmhouse photos. No, <laughs> it was just travel story photos or no here, California coast travel story for the Magnolia journal. And I saw that. And at first I didn't really recognize the magazine name. I don't know why, but I Googled it. And right away I was like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> like, Oh, wow. <laughs> like, and, um, they had this whole like list of places that they wanted me to go and wanted me to, uh, shoot wow. for whatever and she's holding up a copy of it now the chip and joanna Gaines. I'm, are... I'm so excited like i'm on the contents page that's a great uh, shot too and uh it just it, it was kind of surreal for them to reach out to me i feel like there's so much of what i do that like i i said before like i don't really pitch a lot of people especially places like magazines like it wouldn't even be on my scope to email a magazine and be like, hey, do you need me to shoot this travel editorial? You know, because that's not like what the base of my work is is done in. But when I get opportunities like this, I always feel a really scared, really, really, really scared because it's, you know, it's something that while I've done a ton of photography and everything like shooting for a publication like that just was so intimidating. <laughs> like, so you I, still get freaked out, like even though you've been doing this for years, you can get a little starstruck by the publications. Oh, I get freaked out all the time. Yeah. Um, when I got the email for me to do my TEDx talk, I was like, I was just, like so nervous. I was shaking. Like, and I don't even. It's not that I'm not confident in what I do. It's just that, like, once you start getting like bigger and bigger opportunities, you know, like it, it just gets like the the stakes are higher yeah and so it's like if i something like with this magazine like that that's like a big mess up whereas if it's like you know oh i'm taking some photos for someone's blog like it would still be like a mess up but it, it wouldn't be you know a mess up for 1.2 million readers <laughs> like it wouldn't be like leaving a coffee cup in game of thrones yeah it, it wouldn't be wouldn't be as bad as the Starbucks next to uh, the Iron Throne. <laughs> so speaking of Starbucks, do you still have a social media promotion going with Starbucks right now? No, no, that was all me. I bought all that coffee. Oh, uh, for real? It's just, it's just that the Starbucks gift card app thing made it really easy to facilitate that for people. Okay, so explain, no, yeah, explain what this was and like how it went down because it's a good idea. I thought uh -huh. you had a partnership with Starbucks. I wish I had a partnership with Starbucks. That would have been a lot cheaper. <laughs> how many? How much coffee did you buy? I 
I think I bought coffee for at least like 30 or 40 people that day. Like I just loaded the gift card up and then I kept reloading when it would get low because then I felt bad because I was like, oh, but like it's all the messages and stuff that I got from people were so nice. Um, One girl even wrote about it in her journal. So what happened was when I hit 100,000 followers last year, I was like, this is a really big number. I feel like I should do something to celebrate. Like I should have a giveaway or something like some way to thank people for you know, following along and staying interested in in my stuff. I'm sure that it's not all totally interesting. Like, like people who are there for nature photos might not care about my running posts and stuff like that. Like, cause I'm not just like a niche. Right. You kind of cover a a gamut, sort of like me, like there's like a a wide spectrum and it's hard to put a pin on. And so when I came to 200, I didn't really do a lot for 100 and I still, feel a little bad about it but I was I was on a trip to Yosemite when I hit it and I had like no signal and like there's no way that I could have facilitated something then so when I got to 200 I was like okay this is a big number I need to do something to give back and I had seen other people do that where you basically buy a Starbucks gift card and then you kind of share the code and just let people like buy coffee with it basically like all you have to do is show the barcode on your phone to like they just scan it at Starbucks and that's it So it made it really, really easy. So I, I just Googled real quick how to do it. There was like a bunch of blog posts that tell you <laughs> how to give coffee to people. And so I just kind of read some of those and set it up and um, made a lot of people happy that day. That's I got cool. messages about like people are like, oh, I was having the worst day. And then I saw this and, you know, I went and grabbed a cup of coffee and like I feel better now. Or people who were like, oh, you know, like I'm going to take my kids and go grab some. Like, you know, I never take the kids out to do anything. Or this girl wrote in her journal about it and sent me like videos of her journal. And it was just really nice to be able to have that connection with people in that way, because usually it's just it's nothing tangible, you know, it's all on the internet. So to do something like that made it feel a lot more real. Do you find it hard to stay connected to your followers? I think that the hardest part is that I can post things and reach out to them as much as I want because it's my platform, but it takes them responding either through comments or DMs. Like you, you can't force that. You know, you can't force someone to respond to anything that you post. And so I, I think it's it's especially cool when people do respond. I know there's some people that will message me and be like, hey, like, I never comment because I'm too nervous or something like that. But they'll send me a message. I, I think it's it's cool to be able to connect with people. Like, I've been on the Internet for 20-something years now. And... I think that's my favorite part about the internet is like, yeah, there's trolls and there's some negativity and like, you know, the keyboard warriors, whatever. But I think that the internet's just been so great at being able to connect people either through common interests or other things. So do you have, you have like an estimate of how many messages you get on a, like a weekly basis? Is it overwhelming or do you actually have time to read them all? I get a lot of messages. I probably get at least 30, just only on Instagram, 30 DMs a day. Um, I try to respond to all of them unless it's someone being vulgar or rude or something. Then I usually just, if it's extra vulgar, I'll report it and block them. <laughs> but um, I try to respond to all my messages. And are, you, then, are they mostly positive? Yeah. Yeah, I would say the... 
the worst message I think I ever got is that in my Instagram profile, I post that I'm from SF-ish, uh-huh. meaning like close to San Francisco, because I don't always want to, you know, post on there where I'm from. Right. Exactly. Like I'm in Cupertino on Steve Jobs Avenue. You <laughs> Steve Jobs Avenue. I don't, that's all I know about Cupertino. Um, there's probably, there probably is a Steve Jobs Avenue somewhere, like honestly. Um yeah, because I, you know, I just, I like to have that little bit of privacy there. And um, so I all get, like, I got a message one time and they're like SF-ish with a question mark. Like, they get really offended. And I'm like, yeah, you know, somewhere near San Francisco. Like, it's uh-huh. not, it's not that hard to figure out. They, I don't know, some people just really, like, take offense to it. And because there's some people that'll say, like, oh, I'm from San Francisco, even though, you know, they're three hours away. But right. I, I don't know. I just like I don't do it for that reason, like to say that I'm from San Francisco because I'm cool. And I don't even know what it matters. Like the rent is higher here than it is in San Francisco. <laughs> like, That's crazy. So did you move to the Bay Area before everything went crazy or was it already really, really expensive when you got there? When I moved to the Bay Area, my rent was half of what it is now. Holy hell. How do you feel about that? Um, I think that the shortage of housing is, is bad. Like there's so many tech companies here and opportunity for people, which is a great thing, but there's just not enough places for people to live. And that's kind of what causes the shortage and the prices to go up. And, um, I, I think it's obscene how high the rent is and that people just raise the prices cause they can. Yeah. But, I don't think I would ever be able to go back to my hometown. Like it's so small and the opportunities are limited and it's an hour and a half to a major airport, which doesn't work for me with travel. And is this in California? It is in the central Valley. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, like Sacramento ish. Like more like Modesto ish or Stockton ish. Oh, as a native like Californian, Give us an idea of some cool places that you like to travel to to take nature photos and, and get away from like your daily grind. So if I'm going somewhere local, I really love the Redwoods and the Peninsula. There's Big Basin State Park, which is more South Bay. And then there's Wonderlich Park, Hutter Park. They all have really tall, wonderful redwoods with ferns below them and lots of hiking trails. And if I'm going farther, I love to go to Lake Tahoe. The water's so clear and I feel like there's nothing about the lake that's not magical. All right. So is there a place that you've traveled to because of your photography work and your blogging that has changed the way you perceive the world? I don't know if it changed it, perhaps, but... I've been to places in the Caribbean and in Asia where there's not a lot of money. And my favorite part about those places is the people. Um, In the Caribbean, the people have such a zest for life and they're just so positive and happy. And I guess in Asia, it's, it's a lot of the same thing the kids and the people that I met were just so happy and grateful to just be alive and to just be able to meet new people. And I think that sometimes in America, you get lost in the consumerist 
stuff and even my own kids sometimes I'm like you guys have no clue how good you have it mm-hmm. you know the kids in the Philippines especially when we were in the smaller villages outside of Iloilo like they were just so happy to be able to do flips off our boat into the water <laughs> like it, it just it was I don't want to say it was humbling because I, I like to think that I'm already humble but you know, it's just nice to see people happy. So and, the, so you were on a boat in the Philippines and you guys let some kids come up on it and like hang out? Yeah, you come up to the like the different like stops or whatever and they just come up and they'll like jump off the side of the boat and and everything. So it's important to gain that perspective, I guess, because you're you're in a part of America that is a little bit more affluent and has a reputation for being expensive and i mean you know hell apple is based there like that pretty much defines it right haunting archaic legacy of forgotten music you know like where you can almost walk down the street a couple years ago and feel the ghosts like coming out of the brickwork and the abandoned warehouses and and you could feel the lingering presence of like Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash and Otis Redding in all of the neon flicking around. But it's it's a poor city. Memphis is one of the poorest cities in the whole country. But even so, I come home here having gone to Southeast Asia uh, or Belize or places like this. And I come back with a whole new perspective, which is like you really don't need that much, right? No, but we have so much. Yeah. And um, I really. It, yeah, I mean, that's what it comes down to is like I, I live a pretty minimalist lifestyle to begin with. Right. Like, you know, I, I like nice things, but like I don't need 800 of them. Uh-huh. And I try not to spoil my kids and try to, you know, teach them to be thankful. But being able to go to these places and I don't know, see people that have so much less and they're just so much more happy. You seem like really affected by it. Like, cause we're, so we're recording this on Skype so I can <laughs> see Jess like, you know, it's, it's weird cause Skype is like this archaic technology too, but it's really good for podcast recording. Um, but you just look like really effective. Like you're lost in a, in a dream state, sort of. What What are you like seeing? Um. Well, it just. Um. I just did a run, not too long ago. The this um, Filipino food run I did that was helping to raise money for our kids in the Philippines, and um, so for each runner registration for the run, you could feed six kids in the Philippines for a month. Mm. And I mean, the registration was only fifty dollars. But it's just amazing to me that, you know, some that a donation that small could make such an impact in someone's life in other parts of the world. And I just it could be like a month's income in some places. Yeah, exactly. And, And I just always wish that there was more that I could do. I feel like sometimes the work that I'm doing as a content creator isn't as fulfilling as you know if i were able to help people more do you think you could leverage 
your voice as a content creator to lend some more opportunity to those people? No, absolutely. And um, so that's something that I've been focusing on is, you know, getting more out of what I'm doing. And I've done quite a few through my running. I've done quite a few um, partnerships with, you know, different local charities and and things like that to uh, just be able to help people more and use my, my presence online for good. I mean, I don't need it for bad, but you know. <laughs> join the dark side. Um, do you feel like you're on an island because you kind of work solo or you have a small team, your husband, you have an assistant that comes to help you. Do you feel like you're on an island or do you have the ability to connect a lot of content creators together for a cause? I think I definitely have the ability to bring people together for it. I actually run a um, group that's located in the Bay Area. That's a lot of Bay Area based content creators and whether it's Instagrammers or bloggers or what have you. Um, But we have over 100 people in our group. So and I I founded it and run it. Um, So I think that if there were something that I worked on, like a bigger project, then I could definitely be able to bring people together. I think that's cool. You should let us know and then we'll do our part to sort of spread the word. You mentioned earlier that you did a TED talk a few months ago. I did. What was that talk about and what was the experience like? My TED talk was about the unseen work of being an influencer. Um, Like I had talked about before, it's my job to show the flashy fun parts of what I do on social media. But most people look at an influencer and they think, oh, they just take a couple photos here and there, you know, and they don't see all of the content planning and the work and the emails and the the social media content planning and all of the, the photo editing. And they don't see all of the work that goes into it. And um, I think that a lot of people found it interesting because you know, that's not something that people are privy to unless it's explicitly shown. Yeah, it's true. I even see that from my line of work. It, it It's easy to take pictures and write a story as if you're in a bubble. But I think it's really important to educate people that travel is really a transformative experience. It helps you grow, but it's not all glorious. I mean, you're going to earn the view 90% of the time. Yeah. Everybody, give Jess a follow at Hi Doll, H E G D O L L. Hey! God damn it! <laughs> Note to self, and I like know this. I talk to you all the time on there. Hi Doll, H I J. God damn it! H E J D O L L. And make sure to go follow her blog. It really is cool, innovative stuff, and. And it's interesting to me to see somebody that came in from the world of already creating like text and and photos and everything and integrating that with magazines. And it's not like you're just on Instagram. Like there's a whole, there's a whole book inside of that cover. Yeah. So lastly, what, what advice would you give to somebody who is just starting out and they want to become a content creator? They want to take their day job throw it in the trash can and become their own free entity? I think that it's important for people to figure out who they are from the start. Don't just go into it, you know, 
swinging your bat at every ball that comes your way. You need to, to really, you know, have a plan. And especially with how competitive this space is now, it's important that you treat your online presence as a business from the start. So, you know, don't, I don't know, don't, don't be mean to people. Don't, I don't know, (laughs) you know, like just keep it professional from the start and really know what you're going to go after. And if it takes you a while to figure out what you're going to go after, maybe just, you know, sort of look into everything for fun and just figure out what you would like. I have to say when I started my blog, it was just sort of an online journal and over the years it evolved and it's gone into travel and then it went into a little bit more lifestyle and then it's I rebranded and to hide all what it is now and now I'm sort of a bit of travel life and style and I find that that's my happy point that's what makes me happy that's awesome Jess thanks so much for joining us everybody go follow her on Instagram at hide all h-e-j-d-o-l-l like Danish (laughs) I'll catch you later go run up another mountain for me okay (laughs) thanks so much bye bye Name played on the glass brought back twenty melodies, and the scratches on her face told of every time he'd fell, singing every story he could tell, and oh, the stories it could tell. And I met you, it still rings just like a bell.